Hello, I'm Ed Needham, editor of the fabulous literary magazine Strong Words, and this is my podcast, The Five Rules of Writing. In each episode, I speak to a most excellent writer in a particular genre about how they do it. And if you'd like to know more about Strong Words, and specifically how to subscribe, go to www.strong-words.co.uk and you'll be whisked straight to the website. Hello and welcome to the Five Rules of Writing, brought to you by Strong Words magazine. This is a podcast where I talk to writers about the five things they know to be true in writing. So whether that's experimental theatre or travel guides, there are some aspects of their work that are absolutely non-negotiable. And today I'd like to welcome a writer who's made it his business to frighten people. He's the writer of the six stories series of fictional investigations into supernaturally tinged crimes, Matt Wesolowski. Welcome, Matt. Hello. How are you doing? No, very well, thanks. Now, it's your latest book, Deity, uh, is out now, as, as from today, I believe, as we speak. Uh, it's published by Arenda. It's about a creepy pop star. But Matt, could you describe your six stories format for those people who aren't yet familiar with it and tell us what people can expect? Of course, and I think you actually described it rather well just before. Um, each book is... Uh, a series of a fictional true crime podcast. Um, each book is a cold case and each book takes the form of interviews with people connected to the case, uh, hosted by investigative journalist Scott King. Uh, each book stands alone. Um, there is some nice narrative running through if you do want to start from the start. Um, and I guess it's for people who are interested in true crime um, who like crime fiction, and also with a bit of the supernatural as well. And how did you come across this idea of, of write, effectively writing it as a transcribed podcast? Well, interestingly, I've, I've never really been a crime reader, um, but I have been fascinated always by true crime. So I read a lot of uh, Brian Masters' books, uh, his book about Dennis Nielsen, his book about Jeffrey Dahmer, and I always wanted to write a, um, a fictional true crime. And then when the first series of Serial came along, looking at the case of Heyman Lee's murder um, and her accused boyfriend, that was almost like a, a bit of an epiphany because it was this brand new way of telling stories where an interviewer would talk to different people connected with that case. And with every episode, you got an almost different view of the case. So you're um, your theories would get changed with every episode. And I thought, what a cool new way of telling stories. Why don't I just have a shot and write something like that? And it was just for fun, really. It was, it was just for me. It was, wasn't to try and get published or anything. I just wrote it to see what would happen. And it kind of was a little experiment. A very successful one. But you've always had a weakness for the supernatural as well, right? Where does that come from? Oh man, yeah, that's, I mean, that is just part of me. That is just who I am. I, I've been obsessed with the supernatural since I was a kid, since I read the Osborne Book of Ghosts, I think, uh, in primary school. And um, it's just, it's hard to describe. I don't really know where it's come from, but it's there. And it's, I've always wanted to be a horror writer as well. Um, so horror, ghosts, monsters, that's just my thing. And when I was writing the first book, uh, the first six stories book, I was writing it as just crime. I was trying to write straight crime. And I got stuck because I was feeling my um, passion for it was dwindling. 
and then and I've been reading about Inuit mythology sort of as an aside as you do for fun and uh, I thought what why don't I throw an Inuit demon in here and then that sort of revitalized the whole thing and I thought this is me this is how I write um I'm gonna put a monster in if I want to because because that's me and that feels more authentic I suppose from Strong Words magazine these are the five rules of writing I mean, one of the things about your books is they are incredibly creepy. You know, this. The, I, I remember when I first read um, children's books uh, or sort of ghost books as a child. Incredibly disappointed. You know, they were they were the idea of sort of ghost literature wasn't actually frightening, but rather more sort of um, just uh, just a sort of tone. And uh, and I ended up being very disappointed. Whereas your books are the they are the real thing, aren't they? They do. They do send a bit of a bit of bit of a shiver down the spine. So the first rule is: don't try and please anyone with your writing. Write about the things that you're passionate about. How do you communicate that sort of scariness that you're that you are, as you'd say, passionate about? Well, I think because when I read, I'm a bit like you. I've always been. I'm always quite disappointed with books that are called horror and that don't frighten me. I want to be frightened and I want to be horrified and I want to read a book that I don't want to go to the bathroom because I'm too scared, right? And and when I'm and I find too much and too much that I read in the horror genre isn't frightening enough. So I want to be really scary and I want to be the scariest I can possibly be. And so when I say don't try and please anyone, write what you're passionate about, I, I kind of write what I want to read. And that's a bit of a writer's cliche, write for yourself, but it's so true. Um, and like I said, with the Six Stories book, it wasn't, it didn't feel enough like me. So I put some supernatural in there and then it felt right. And I think that's a really important thing to do in your writing is when it feels right, it flows. And when you're trying to think, oh, will people like this? That's where it inevitably doesn't work. Do you sort of take a passion, which is a sort of vague pleasure and turn into sort of ink on the page? You know, what's the, what's the process? Or did you just sit down and start writing and this kind of came out at the end as if, as if by magic? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a little bit of both. I tend to, when I'm writing these books, um, now I all kind of, I usually get ideas from various different places. So usually I'm, I'll get an idea from true crime. So I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I also listen to a lot of um, like mi um, mystery podcasts uh, and like supernatural podcasts and read a lot in both genres as well. So there'll be two, I always start with two little ideas. So for example, Deity, the, the latest book, um, I was thinking a lot about pop stars and heroes and how much we feel let down by them when allegations come out about them. Um, and then I had this idea of a haunted forest, which is a recurring theme in a lot of my books. But then I thought, well, what if I can kind of combine the two? And that's where I start. I start with these two things. And then it is a bit like, let's just see what happens. I don't plan what happens. Um, so the endings tend to surprise me as well. Okay. And is there, a, is there an aspect of the paranormal that most intrigues you? It depends because <laughs> some days there is and, so, and some days it's other things like at the minute I'm really into demon possession. So I've been reading a lot of books about demon possession and a lot of older books and accounts of demon possession. Um, but like next week it might be lake monsters 
uh, might be vampires. Uh, you know, there's an endless possibility and there's more stuff coming. Um, Hydra, my second book, contains black-eyed children, which is quite a recent phenomena. Um, and it's it was first started, I think, in the in the 90s, though, these accounts, there was an account of a journalist meeting these weird children who knocked on the door of his car and asked to come in. And they had black eyes and they gave him this terrible fear. And, and this became a, a bit of an internet phenomena. Um, and it fascinated me. And I love finding new stuff to get interested in like that. Okay. Now, number rule two, you say, is that you must make your characters real to you. You must be able to hear their voices and understand their pain. How do you do this? Especially in, you know, because in uh, horror writing, it has a terrible reputation for corniness, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that, and that's one of the hardest things as well, keep it like feeling authentic. I think like uh, people are really complex and people are odd and real people are odd. And you've got to, allow for a bit of oddness in there because that's what makes people real and I feel that with a character you've got to hear them for me anyway because my books are written in in dialogue I've really got to sit and hear them and sometimes it takes a little bit of a while to get to, for their voices to come but it it's funny and I, I don't want to sound too pretentious but it's almost like when, once I can hear them they click and their backstory almost just unfolds in my head and it's very little effort to think about them because once I hear their voice and once they start telling their story, they just come together and there's no other way to describe it. Um, but then I really have to listen and I really have to hear that voice and I have to concentrate on that voice and that story um, and their idiosyncrasies and their passions and their pain, which isn't always normal, I guess. And it's about yeah not using cliche and I'll, and I'll i'm really conscious of trying not to use cliche and that's quite hard when you're writing <laughs> i think um, do you have a particularly reliable source for uh, sort of real voices if you're if you're really is there a place you can go or a, um you know a, a particular bus you like to get on no i don't really go out and see people <laughs> no um I, I use a lot of memories i guess um and i think as a writer, you tend to store these things in your head. You store odd little conversations. So if I'm really struggling, I'll think back to a person, because every, every character I think you write has a grounding in someone real. I don't write any characters as anyone, but there's often little bits of people I'll steal or turns of phrase that I'll steal. So for example, I might think of a teacher I had maybe, and they used to say this, so I'll put it in there just as a um, a pivot, you know, and then and think, and then their story almost comes from there. So they're a bit like this teacher, perhaps, or a bit like this bully. For example, the first book, Six Stories, the Tom Jeffries character was very much grounded in someone real. But we've all known a Tom Jeffries. We've all known a bully, a nasty little bully who picks on people. So he was quite an easy character to write because he was grounded in reality. So yeah, everything's grounded in reality, but isn't real people. Okay. And in your work with um, underprivileged and disadvantaged children, do they, have they helped at all? Yeah, interestingly, uh, some of the <clears throat> funny little terms of phrase and some of the stories have come from a lot of the young people I've worked with. 
only because they are really interesting. And when you speak to them and listen to their stories, it's like there's, they're not stories I've experienced before. And like they're real life, you know, these, a lot of these kids come from really disadvantaged and um, underprivileged backgrounds. And some of their stories are heartbreaking, but they'll tell them with just such, like the, it, it feels like it doesn't affect them, you know, when they, when they tell you these stories. So a lot of them do come from there. A lot of them are influenced by that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, we're going to move on to rule three, which is to write authentically and from experience. Use the overlaps of what you've just been saying, but use things you've heard, memory snippets of conversations, odd turns of phrase. Now, everyone, everyone, if allowed, would say that the first rule of writing is to read everything. Which, which written sources have you found to be most helpful? Wow. So <clears throat> I think when written sources tend to be, and like this is going to be odd. So <clears throat> I read 14 Times magazine is probably my favorite magazine. And it's a paranormal magazine. And, and it's like a compilation of lots of odd news stories and articles written uh, people who've seen ghosts and UFOs and that sort of thing. And that tends to usually give me a good idea for the paranormal aspect of my work. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are a few writers that really their voices are so, so strong that they have been massive influence on my work. Patrick McCabe is probably the first one. He's a writer I've loved since I was maybe about 16. And his work is very like stream of consciousness. Um, it's like sort of deranged Roddy Doyle. He's a wonderful writer, but his having such a strong voice. So any writer who's got a strong voice like that, um, I will steal little bits of phrase and all writers do this and writers who say they don't are liars. <laughs> but yeah, the, and I'll try and get that authenticity. What I want is when I'm reading a book that scares me or emotionally affects me, I want to do that. So I will read books that emotionally hurt me or frighten me so I can try and replicate that passion, I think. Okay. And any sort of first-hand supernatural experiences of your own that have helped? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I've experienced a few things. When I was a teenager, I, um, I lived in a, in, a, in a flat with some, with some friends in the West End of Newcastle, and that had a poltergeist. And it was really frightening. It would throw stuff down the stairs all night and it would slam windows and that sort of thing. It was genuinely frightening. Um, and I went up to Edinburgh to the Greyfriars churchyard, the haunted churchyard, and saw um, this sort of hooded thing coming at me, which was a really creepy experience. There's been a few, um, but it's more not about those experiences on the surface. It's more about the feeling they gave me and the fear they gave me. And I try and recall that fear and that panic and try and use that in writing, I suppose. That poltergeists have a particular um, sort of tendency to throw shoes. Was that your experience? Was there a lot of shoe throwing in your, <laughs> in your haunted house? Oh, I mean, back then we were all wearing great big new rock boots. So <laughs> I don't think it, uh, it had the strength really. No. It, um, it, it threw, it was hard to know, sometimes with poltergeists as well, because again, I've <laughs> read quite a lot about poltergeists. They'll throw things that, um, and not damage them, which is really weird. So they'll throw, like they'll throw a tea set from a shelf, but it'll be completely undamaged, or you'll get pennies often they'll throw and they will never really hurt anyone. 
what it used to do is throw things that weren't there. So you'd wake up with something clattering down the stairs and you and you'd kind of wake up and there was nothing there. And that that was pretty creepy. Okay. Um and and folklore as well. This is something else that plays a plays a big part in your writing, sort of whether genuine folklore or folklore that you've you've sort of constructed for yourself. How do you how do you use that to greatest effect? Oh, I love folklore. Like again, as a as a kid, and one of one of the a big influence on my writing is reading folk stories. I've got tons of folklore books. I had this book when I was really young called Old English Folk Tales. Um, I might actually have it right next to me. No, it's upstairs, I think. But yeah, um, Kevin Crossley Holland wrote, adapted a load of Old English Folk Tales. And when I was a kid, I could pretty much recite all of them off by heart. I was so obsessed with them. And I think folklore has such deep roots in society, in every society. I've got books from Siberian folk tales. I've got folk tales from Norway. Um, and they all have sort of recurrent themes which are steeped in us and our humanity. And I think being able to use those in literature is so powerful. And if you read <clears throat> someone like Andrew Michael Hurley is a really good example of someone who uses folklore and folk horror to a really, really devastating and powerful effect. He's a massive influence as well. And I think folklore has huge power. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before your rule four is to explore your locations with your characters. You never know what you'll find. <clears throat> how, how do you do? Yeah. So when I'm creating a place so everywhere in six stories, pretty much the big locations are made up because I kind of feel like I'm not really good enough to write authentically someone else's. Life. So if I wrote Newcastle, it would be my Newcastle. It wouldn't be your Newcastle. Um, uh, I, I don't know, I, don't, I just don't have enough confidence. So I kind of like to make my own places up, but I don't really like to explore them. There, there is a way of writing, I suppose, where you are omnipotent, you are a God, you have created this place and you know everything. But I kind of like, I like corners and alleyways and like disused canal towpaths and that sort of thing. And I like exploring them with my character. So I don't really know what's gonna be there. So when they're surprised, I'm surprised. And I find, for me, I find that much more fun uh, rather than knowing what's around every corner. Have you spent a lot of time in forests, in the shoes of your characters? Oh, I love forests, yeah. For, like we go, um, we go quite a lot to the woods because we've got quite a lot of woods around here. Uh, we've got Northumberland only about half an hour in the car. Um, and just over the river, uh, we've got a lovely woodland that I've been going to since I was little as well. So yeah, I take my son, we walk in the woods, We tell each other stories. Yeah, the, the, there's something about the woods that gives me something. It almost replenishes my soul going into a wood. You say you like taking your son into the woods. You're quite keen on walking with the, your lad in the woods. Do you spend more time trying to frighten him or trying to reassure him? <laughs> he's, he's very like, he's not frightened of stuff like that. We've spent a lot of the time in the woods with him picking up sticks and having adventures and being characters or, or I'll tell I often tell him folk tales um, I mean he's getting a bit old for that now he kind of wants to run run off into the <laughs> into the woods but I would tell I would just sort of tell him you know all the folk tales I know um off by heart and that was quite nice and what sort of locations have been toughest to populate um I think when I'm writing about somewhere real has been hard so there's a few various I think in my uh third book uh sorry fourth book beast i wrote there was a, a graveyard in bristol that i went to um 
as you do. And that was quite hard because that was a real place. So anywhere real, I really struggle with because I want to get it right. And I will sit for hours getting a street right or, or researching a town just so I can get a feel of it, you know, and, and that's the hardest for me. Okay. And rule five, Matt, you say fear is in the mind of the reader. How do you put it there? I think one of the big lessons in fear is there's a movie called Night of the Demon. Um, I don't know if you know it. I'm not familiar uh, with that one. It's really good, apart from the last sort of 10 minutes when you actually see the monster. Um, it's a wonderfully scary movie, uh, but it's all ruined at the end because the monster's rubbish. It's like this big <laughs> rubber thing. Uh, I mean, it's cool, but it's not frightening. And I think... The way I write, I want to scare people is the fear is what you make of it. So I could write a big scary monster and that might scare me, but it might not scare you, you know? But what I can scare you with is using your own fears against you. So I'm very much writing in, in the sense that I don't want to show too much, that I want to hint at that fear, to, to almost let the reader <clears throat> construct the fear for themselves. I think that's really important. In writing and why do you think people like being frightened so much oh man i i don't know there's probably like a really intelligent uh psychological reason why and i mean it's probably a bit of escapism because you are sat and you're safe and you know it's all in your head really but it gives you that thrill maybe about riding a roller coaster it's that idea of being near to death or maybe there's something deep rooted in us I mean, folk stories are, were there to frighten us. If you take, um, every country has a river monster story or a lake monster story. And they were cautionary. They were about making sure children don't go near the water. I mean, you can say to a child, don't go near the water. Or you can say to a child, something is going to reach and grab you. And that has a much more powerful effect. And I think fear is used by us as people, as storytellers. Um, and there's, there's something in us that we like about it. And I don't think I know why, <laughs> but I love it. And is there a sort of, um, is there a, a, a sort of an all time favorite supernatural mystery that, uh, that, that is, you know, that has always been with you is there a, and sort of number one in your pantheon of uh, supernatural? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really like the ones that just can't be explained, the ones that no one's got an explanation for. So the Marie Celeste is a good one, is a really good example of that. There's never been anything conclusive about the Marie Celeste. There's also a good one from up around here called the Hexen Heads, which is a really sort of overlooked, really idiosyncratic story about these two young boys who found what they think was these Roman um, artifacts in their garden. And it was these two little stone heads. Um, <clears throat> and they found that when they had them in the house, their parents kept waking up and seeing this terrifying, like half sheep, half human specter in the house. The heads were eventually lost and still no one actually knows where they are. But um, there's accounts of people who had them seeing this creature. And, they, and there's so many theories about them. Were they real? Did someone make them? Was it all a hoax? Were they these cursed Bronze Age artifacts? Um, stuff like that. I love it. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Magnificent. Matt, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, best of luck with your book. It's called Deity and it's published by Arenda. If it, and uh, I hope it finds a gigantic audience because it very much deserves one. And uh, best of luck with frightening people in the future. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. From Strong Words magazine, these are the five rules of writing. 